Peninsula Grace South, uh, Peninsula Grace North, the rest of our crew is up at Hidden Lake Campground, praising Jesus, a little bit colder and chillier than us, but uh, praising Jesus in the sunshine and the rain. We're in Daniel, we're actually wrapping up the book of Daniel this morning. We'll be in Daniel, Daniel 12, and then next week we'll launch into a five-week series of looking at the vision um, of the church. And so uh, this morning, last chapter of Daniel, uh, looking at the fact that we live, uh, we live in a world that likes to think of itself as fixable. Um, we live in a Bob the Builder world. Right? Can we fix it? Yes, our world would say, yes, we can. Uh, you, uh, personally, if you don't like your body, the world says fix it. You've got crooked teeth. Straighten them. You've got, uh, you don't like the color of your hair, you can dye it. You can tuck that tummy and you can Botox those lips, right? I've clearly checked all those boxes. Um, and there are professionals, right, that can help with fixing our car, fix our marriage, fix our daddy issues, fix our finances, fix the kitchen sink. There's a YouTube video for everything, right? On the government level, we say, Man, is there global warming? We can fix it. Is there uh, poverty? We can fix it. Are there oppressive governments? We can fix that. We can educate, activate, reform. We can fix it. What do we learn from COVID? We all have an opinion of how we can fix the global pandemic, right? We have the political liberal who would say we can fix it with more government spending and more government intervention. The political conservative who says we can fix it with less government intervention and less government spending, and let's just end that before we have a family feud, right? Even in the church, we can fix it. We have these oxymoronic sections of the bookstore called Christian Self-Help. Don't know how that doesn't seem to fit with the gospel, right? Three easy steps to an anxiety-free you. Right? To become a trim, healthy saint or your money back in 30 days. We think we can fix abortion with more picketing. We can fix our nation if we vote the right candidate in. We can fix our souls if we go to the right counselor. Now listen, these fix, some, a lot of those fixes aren't inherently bad. But the, the, the idea here is that we cannot place our ultimate hope in these fixes. Um, I'm not exactly the poster pastor for hand-eye coordination. Uh, when I'm in the kitchen, my family says it looks like I'm having like a seizure or something when I'm trying to mix bowl. And I just, my, mind, my sister's like, you look awkward. And I'm like, shut up. Um, <laughs> so I, uh, one day I was, I was in the kitchen and I, I dropped a bowl. I, this, this demon came out of nowhere and knocked it out of my hands. And uh, Jill hears me, hears it shatter into like a thousand pieces in the other room and she just sighs and did you break something else? <laughs> yes, dear. And she just asks me, is it fixable? And I said, no. No, it's not. Right? We're going to need a new one. We're going to need a new bowl. I, I will get on to Amazon. Um, that we, and similarly, this world is not fixable. It is broken beyond repair. We can't just fix it. We need a new one. And, and, and this is the reality that we, we actually know, like we know in our hearts, like we see our own sinful addiction, we see our, our, own, our own sinful broken hearts, we, we see the, the dysfunction and abuse in our homes, we see the, the chaos politically in our nation, we see the wars around the world. We know this is an unfixable broken world and there are two reactions that are common to this brokenness. The first one is the despair of it. This chicken little, the sky is falling, this kind of racked with anxiety uh, and, and fear. The other one that may be even a little bit more popular today is to just to numb it 
that, that we, if we can just kind of have this anesthesia of comfort and pleasure and distraction, I think it's one of the reasons we like to stay busy. I keep beating my head against the wall. I don't feel the pain. And if I can just get a good enough amount of coffee in my system, if I can relax on enough vacations and binge enough Netflix, then I will just kind of ignore the reality of the brokenness in my heart and around the world. In Daniel chapter 12, uh, Daniel's people have just traveled back from exile. They're in the promised land, once again, after 70 long years. But what do we see? Everything is still broken. Uh, but Daniel is told here neither to despair over that, nor to try to sedate himself or numb himself uh, from that. Daniel's told there are really only two responses to the broken world around us. In verse 10 of this chapter, it, the language is used that we can live wise or we can live wicked. It's an interesting contrast there. We can be wise or we can be wicked. So what does that look like? This morning we're going to look at Daniel 12 and look at these two options. How can we engage in broken Babylon the wise way, not the wicked way? And what we're going to see in this, in this chapter is that's answered by two other questions. So let's look at these two questions this morning. Uh, the fill in the blanks are in your, in your bulletin. If you didn't get one, back out the front door on that white table. You'll, you'll find a, a copy. Number one, how, and, and if you do need Bibles, by the way, we have out there in the little bookshelf, there's uh, CSB Bibles, feel free to grab one of those and follow along. Uh, verses are on the screen, uh, but grab a Bible, and if you don't have a Bible or just want that really cool Bible, it, you can have it, right? We'll, we'll find a way to bill you, don't worry. Um, just kidding, it's free. Uh, so, number one, how long until the end? How long until the end? And just kind of want to be, uh, I've been drawing heavily on the commentary by Ian Duguid on this book of um, Daniel, and so I'm not quoting him directly today, but a lot of these concepts, he's really just been a helpful Sherpa to guide me through the mountain of, of Daniel, which can get cr- pretty crazy at times. So just shout out to my boy Ian. The first question that's going to be asked here is kind of an echo of our child's favorite question in the car ride. Yet, yeah, are we there yet? Are we there? How long until the end? Like, my five-month-old is already asking this question. It just sounds like this. Ah! <laughs> right? She's freaking out. Last night, coming home from the camp out, she was very adamant that she was no longer happy in the car seat, right? We exercised that demon and went to bed. Um, so verse 5, here we go. Then I, Daniel, looked, and the two others were standing there, one on this bank of the river and one on the other. So we have these two beings on either side of a river. Then it says, One of them said to the man dressed in linen who was above the water of the river, how long until the end of these wondrous things? So we're kind of in the end of our final vision here. What's going on? We have these two beings, one on one side of the river, one on the other side of the river. Then we have a third being, the man in linen, who seems to be kind of hovering over the, uh, the, the river itself. Now, if you were with us last week, this is part of this chapter 10 through 12 vision that Ross touched on. on. Um, we don't know who this man in linen is. It could be Jesus. It could be an angelic messenger. Um, we're not sure. Either way, this is a messenger from God. And one of the beings on the riverbank asks this floaty man in linen guy, he asks him the question, how long until the end of these wondrous things? Are we there yet? How much longer until the end? And we're going to see three things, three principles in the response from the man in linen that I think we can take home uh, in our hearts today. The first one here is that the time is limited. We're going to see God's mercy at play here. The time is limited. Look at the first response. Then I heard the man dressed in linen who was floating above the water of the river. He raised both hands toward heaven and swore by him who lives eternally. So what he's about to tell him comes from the God who sent him. He says this, that it would be until the end. This is how long. It will be for a time times and half a time. Well, that clears things up, doesn't it, right? 
<laughs> How many of you are like, hey, sweetheart, uh, when are you going to come home from the store? It'll be a time, times, and uh, half a time, dear, right? Okay. Like, we, don't, we don't talk like that. So what is, what's going on here? Um, so the number seven we've talked about in the book of Daniel a lot means this idea of completion or perfection. Uh, so when, it, when we hear seven periods of time, um, that indicates a, a completion of the necessary amount of time. In the context of Daniel, we're talking about judgment. And so the idea here is seven periods of time is the full judgment of God. What he says here is time, one time, times, two times, and half a time. So that's a total of three and a half times. Um, what we, we, we see is that this would indicate uh, that the judgment has been cut short or that it's limited. It's not the full extent of the time. And, and the reader at that day would have been totally tracking with that. God would be completely in the right, completely justified to pour out all seven periods of judgment on every single one of us, right? All have fallen short of God's glory and deserve his, his judgment and wrath. This is a helpful reminder that anything less than God's complete judgment is his mercy. It is, it is not something we deserve. You know, often when you ask someone, how you doing? I actually did this this morning as I was walking back to Jim, our sound guy. I said, how you doing, Jim? And he said, better than I deserve. And I said, well, thank you. I actually had a slide all ready to go, and you just gave me an illustration, right? He just, he's so on target. So it says that Lecrae came up with this phrase. I doubt that. I don't know. But um, so... You, you hear that expression sometimes, right? Better than I deserve. And sometimes it can kind of come across glib if it's just kind of given out flippantly. Just another day in paradise. But the reality is, cliches are a cliche for a reason. And it is true that however I'm doing today, it is truly better than I deserve to be doing. And we think about this. That maybe, maybe you come in this morning facing some kind of pain, physically, um, even emotionally, whatever. And it's, rem- it's helpful to remember here that however much it hurts, it is far less than the suffering that we would experience if we were to ex- have an eternity separated from our Father. And we know the only thing preventing that eternal separation, that eternal suffering from Him, is the mercy of God alone. I don't deserve that. Maybe you come in this morning discouraged by your own growth. You feel like, man, how in the world am I still hung up on this sinful addiction, this habit, this thing, surely I should be beyond this by now. This reminds us, man, let's, let's zoom back out for a second and remember all the progress God has made in our lives. And sometimes just to recognize his mercy that we can see that sin that we're struggling with and are mourning it and, and desire to grow in that. And that one day, the Bible promises us, we're going to stand before Jesus face to face and it says in that day, when we see him, we will be like him. But there's a promise that we will ultimately experience growth as as a believer to be just like Jesus. And that also is nothing but his mercy. We also know that maybe you're experiencing brokenness in a relationship. Maybe your world feels like it's crumbling all around you. Maybe it feels like it's just completely gone. Let's remember that in Christ, uh, we have peace with God. And that relationship will never be broken again. And once more, it's only by his mercy. So whatever it is that we're going through today, let's remember that this trial, this suffering, will one day end. There's an end in sight. And our, whatever suffering it is, it's limited, time, times, and half a time, by his mercy. And, and maybe that can even come across a little, like you hear that, and it's like, well, that seems kind of cold of God. Like, is he just kind of saying, well, get over it. It could be worse, right? I could have given you more. 
does God even care that we're suffering, or is he just like, at least I got you off easy? Well, if we ever doubt how much God cares about our suffering, we, we look to the cross, and we remember that the reason that God only pours out time, times, and half a time of the judgment on us is because it was fully absorbed on the cross that he fully poured out his wrath, all seven periods of judgment, on Jesus in our place. The, the cost of mercy is seen in the face and the cross of Jesus. The time is limited by the mercy of God. The second thing we see here is that the time is precise. precise, And this is according to the providence of God, or the sovereign care is what that word means. Um, so another answer to this is found down in verse 11. It says, from the time uh, the, sa- the daily sacrifice is abolished, an abomination of desolation is set up. So again, just tracking, that's super easy, right? We'll, we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, there will be 1,290 days. So he throws out this specific uh, number, and it actually track. it's the same way of saying time, times, and half a time. Uh, so in our calendar, uh, how many days in a year? Sweet, even on Labor Day, you guys are thinking. All right, so 365. Uh, back then, most of the time, they were on a lunar solar calendar that was actually 360 days. So very likely, that's how they would have been counting their days. And if you take 360 days times three and a half, you would get 1,290 days, most likely what he's referring to here. Um, now, God, remember, he doesn't give us an exact date. Remember, we said we're never given. Even Jesus said, I don't know the time. Uh, but what we do know here is that he knows Right? Like, he knows the exact amount of time. He knows the exact day. He's not up there just like cooking. Remember, some of us kind of cook by feel. It's, it's in the oven, and, and I'll just kind of sense through osmosis when that thing is ready to come out, right? You weirdos. Uh, that, that God's not just up there like, I'm going to judge them for a while, and we'll see when it's done cooking, right? That's not how God is doing this thing. He knows the beginning from the end. We've taken Lucy in a couple of times for her immunization shots. We knew that she would cry, most likely, when the needle uh, went into her little body. Uh, does that make us cruel parents? Some of you would say yes, and that's a different church and culture conversation. Um, we did this out of the intention of love, and we knew, yeah, there'd be temporary pain, 30 seconds, couple minutes, whatever, uh, but this was for her long-term good, for her susceptible body to grow healthy, and again, we can debate that after the service. Um, similarly, when we go through sufferings and trials, we do know that God is in complete control, amen? That he is not going to put me through. Here's what we know about our God from Scripture. He's not going to put us through anything unnecessary, and he will not put us through anything a second longer than we need to be in it. And whatever it is that we're going through, it's for our best. Now, we don't always see that, and we don't always believe that, right? Why are you allowing this needle to go in me, Lord, like David? How long, oh Lord, will you put me through or allow me to go through this suffering But he knows. He knows precisely to the second how long it will hurt and how long we need it. Now, hear me in this. We're not saying that God authors evil, but we are saying that he uses the suffering and the trials in our lives. And once again, we look no further than the cross, that that God used the evil done to Jesus to put him there in the first place for our good and for his glory. God is in control. That the third thing that we see here is that this judgment is it's a time that is to be persevered. This is according to the faithfulness of God. The final answer, and how long will it be until the end, we see in verse 12. Uh, the man says, happy or blessed, some translations say, happy is the one who waits for and reaches, and we got another number, 1,335 days. Now, wait a second. You just said it would be 1,290 days. 
So why did we just add 45, right? What is going on? And again, scholars can't give us an exact, I mean, we don't, nobody knows for sure like, oh, what that 45 days would entail specifically. But once again, what, what I do think we see here is, is what seemed like, he just said, the trial will be for 1,290 days. But blessed is the one who endures 45 days past that. It will seem like is enough is enough, but there's going to be more time. We certainly see that with Daniel and the people of Israel when they thought they were getting back from exile and it'd all be hunky-dory. Nope, there are more times to persevere. Uh, when, when Lucy gets older, because the torture will continue, we'll take her to the dentist. And uh, <laughs> the parenting's fun. Uh, you thought the shots were bad, right? Uh, but as her father, now, I'm not going to deny her, tell her when she gets into that chair, now, sweetheart, there will be no crying in this family, right? You're going to suck it up. You're going to deal with it. I don't want you to feel any pain, and I don't want you to feel any emotion. Now, I've, I'm a new dad, but I know that's probably on the psychotic end of the pool, right? So I can, like, no, we, we allow, we understand she's going to fear, feel fear, Going to the dentist, she will feel pain, potentially, uh, going to the dentist. But what we are asking her to do is to trust us and our judgment that what's about to go, the torture that she's about to go through, is for her own benefit. Um, She doesn't have to like the experience, in other words. But she does need to trust us and persevere through it. And as we face, as we experience um, living in a broken world, God wants us to cry out to him. Sometimes I think we have this idea that we're supposed to clean up our act and come to God and smile and pretend like everything's cool when we pray to him. When God knows our hearts, and he wants us to, just like any other intimate relationship, he wants us to come to him as we are and and to cry to him and and to yell at him and to be frustrated and confused and sad with him. I mean, read the Psalms, a whole gamut of emotion that this man after God's own heart is pouring out to his God. Like, we're not hiding it from him anyway. And as we come to him, he says, you don't have to like it. Yes, sir, please, sir, more, sir. But he says, you do need to trust me that what I'm allowing you to go through is necessary and will not go on for a second longer than it needs to. And how many times do we feel like, God, is, is it going to be 45 more days? Like, am I actually, like, are, you, are you kidding me? Or like, you know, sometimes it seems like a family has like three or four things dumped on them right in a row. It's like, God, couldn't you spread that around a little bit? Like, we don't always understand the suffering and the pain in this world that we and those around us are experiencing. We say, God, that's enough. But he says here, the the blessing or happy is the one who waits for and reaches the end of these 13, 35 days that we're called to trust the one who's in control and to persevere. And how do we do that? It is not by our own strength and faithfulness, but it's the faithfulness of the grip of grace that has has its clutches on us now and forever. The time that will be limited by mercy is precise and it is to be persevered. But the second question is how will it end? How will it end? So the second question is asked by Daniel himself. It says in verse 8, I heard, but I did not understand. Anybody with Daniel on that one? Like, what? I got a follow-up question here. Uh, So I asked, my Lord, what will the outcome of these things be? So if you're going to be kind of coy with me on the exact ending, uh, how is this all going to end? And it is especially understanding that it's confusing because look at the other thing, the last thing that this angelic being says about how, when it's going to end. Back up in verse 7, it said, When the power of the holy people is shattered, all these things will be completed. Again, they're really good at giving us enigmatic statements here. When the power of the holy people is shattered. 
Now, again, there are many different interpretations of, of what this means, and are we talking about national Israel? Are we talking about the church? There's a whole thing there, but all we see here is that the holy people of God, people that are believing in Yahweh, probably in our day we might say following Jesus, they will be shattered. Now, that doesn't sound like a good end, right? I don't know about you, but I don't want to be shattered. <laughs> I, I, this word to mean scattered or broken. At the end, you'll know when it ends, when the holy people of God are crushed, are shattered and scattered. Um, and, and so what in the world is, is being said here? What looks, like vict- what looks like total defeat will indicate victory. What would you expect to be set up here? I would expect when the power of the, the wicked people is shattered, right? That's not what this says. And we're going to see throughout Daniel and throughout Scripture that the path that God has for us, first of all, is through suffering. It's through suffering, not through fixing. So the, the prosperity gospel, which is a false gospel, um, has permeated deep into our churches today. Um, you, you've heard it said, um, things along the line of, uh, g- give your life to Jesus and you will receive your best life now, right? He, he will give you salvation and so much more. He will bless your bank account. He will bless your health. He will bless your home security systems, right? And I'll probably stop imitating before lightning strikes. Um, th- that, that this idea that you've got to admit it's getting better, a little better, all the time, that, that if we just kind of, we're going to see this gradual Christianization of the world, that everything is just going to continue to get better and better and better. The problem with that is that is not what Jesus teaches. Uh, the problem is that he says, no, if you follow me, the way will be narrow. And in fact, there will only be a small minority of Jesus' followers throughout this time. Most, Jesus teaches, will reject him. That, that most, he's, and, he, and then he says, even those who do follow me will have troubles in this world. Those who do follow me will suffer. Those who do follow me will be persecuted. Who's ready to sign up for that? He teaches the kingdom of heaven, yes, it's a mustard seed that will grow, but he also teaches that it is like a field. And he says there are, are going to be good grain that's planted in this field, in this world, that will grow up to become wheat, ready for the harvest. There will also be weeds that grow up all around this wheat. And what he says is until the end, the wheat and the weeds will grow up together. In fact, it will often be hard to distinguish the two. And at the end of the world, at the end when ju- full judgment comes, there will be this separation of the wheat and the weeds. But until that day, they will grow up among each other. So what's he saying here? It's not going to be paradise right now. We're not mowing down all the, the weeds right now that it's only left with this kind of Edenic wheat field right now. We're going to, we're going to live in the Babylonian evil and suffering and death for at least 45 days longer than we thought. Now, in, in verse 10... He talks about this. So in the midst of this suffering, look what he says in verse 10. The New Living says it this way. Many will be purified, cleansed, and refined by these trials. So there will be suffering right now. But I see two promises. One is I like more than the other. The first one says trials will be a part of your life. So, so the, there will be trials. But the second thing is that they will purify the wise. Many will be purified, cleansed, and refined by these trials. And so what we see here, and we know how like a refining fire, what, is it, what does refining fire do? It reveals the substance that is, right? It, it reveals what is. And so the messenger is saying, these trials are going to reveal, remember the two ways, the wise and the wicked. So he goes on to say in verse 10, but the wicked will continue in their wickedness, and none of them will understand. See, so he says the wicked won't understand the, the suffering in this world. They won't understand the trials. And that's true of our world today. The, the secular world does not have a category for suffering. 
So, so those outside of, of, of Jesus will, will try to eliminate suffering, try to avoid suffering, will even try to act victimized by the suffering and blame shift somebody else out there and cancel them, right? But what we know, he says, will also be revealed is the wise. He says only those who are wise will know what it means, will understand this process. Only the wise will understand that God has a purpose in our suffering and there is blessing for those who endure it, as he said in verse 12. Only the wise understand that there is joy, there is blessing on the other side of enduring the trials before us. A few years ago, I went through one of the hardest trials in my life. And there was broken relationship with people who I had known and loved for a long, long time. And man, the emotion, the despair, like I, I was a hot mess. And it was easy in that to want to handle it the wrong way and play the victim card. I'll tell you that that, that victim card um, is tempting. I was the good guy in this and everybody else, they're all morons, right? But they're the wicked. I'm, I'm the good guy. And why, God? And question, God, why would you let us go through this? Why would you do this? Where are you? Why aren't you fixing this? One of the things that the Holy Spirit, I, I think, taught me through that situation was I can't control the people around me. Like, I, I can't, and I'm not responsible for them and what they do and how they act. What I'm responsible for, what I can control before my God, is w- what he's teaching me. So I had to ask God, I had to step back and say, well, God, what are you teaching me in this? Like, how are you purifying me? How are you using this trial to cleanse me, to, to purify me? And when, when you and I face trials, and we were promised here, we will face trials, we have to ask, God, what are you teaching me? Maybe that's a question you've got to ask him this week. God, what are you teaching me through this trial? What are you showing me? How are you growing me through this? Because what we see next is that the suffering of the wise, the path is through suffering, but it's unto glory. It's, it's unto glory. This, this ends well. In the last verse of Daniel, uh, he has shown the end of his story. He's shown that there is a happily ever after at the end of the tunnel. Look at verse 13, last verse of the book. But as for you, the angelic messenger says, go on your way to the end. Continue to be faithful. Persevere toward the end, Daniel. And it says, you will rest. So that, that idea was that you will die. At the end of this, there will be death for you. And we know Daniel's at the end of his life here. He's, he's getting pretty old. Says, initially, it says, you will rest, then, after you rest, then you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance at the end of the days. It says, after, interesting here, after death, you will rise, and you will receive what I have for you. And this is very similar language to what Ross read last week in verse 2 of this chapter, when it said, many who sleep in the dust, again, that was an allusion to death, of the earth will awake some to eternal life and some to disgrace and eternal contempt. What Daniel is showing us here at the end of these visions, what's being shown to Daniel and to us, is that the only answer to broken Babylon is nothing short of a resurrection. That, like that bowl that I so smoothly dropped in the kitchen, that, that this world is, cannot be fixed, this broken world cannot be humpty dumpty together again, that it's broken beyond repair, that our human hearts are broken beyond repair. The solution isn't Gorilla Glue. The solution is a brand new bowl. 
And, and, and I, listen, I can Botox and tummy tuck all day, and I do. I, I do not. That's not true. But this body, this temporary body is going to die, right? I can do a, a new paint job on this thing, but it's mortal. It's going to die. And, and even my own soul. Like it, was, it was broken. Like, I, there, I just, it wasn't just a couple of moral fixer-uppers that if I just acted a little bit better, behaved a little bit better, that I'd be acceptable to God. There was, I was broken beyond repair, and I needed a new heart. I needed a new life. And the good news is, that's exactly what we've been given. But the question is, how do we get that? How do we get new bodies, new hearts, new lives? How do we get from broken suffering to healed glory? Last detail we want to look at the book before we're done. Through suffering to glory. How? Point C. By, here's the, here's the road, by the crucified and risen Jesus. But crucified and risen Jesus. So again, what we skipped over was when is this going to start? He said time, time, and half a time. This is going to be his limited judgment. But what's the beginning of this? And again, more fun things that scholars smarter than me to debate. So let's be humble here. But verse 11 says, From the time uh, the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination of desolation is set up. So that's the time period. You guys got that? So just look out for the abomination of desolation and then we'll know to start our watches. Right? Once again, what in the world? Right? What is being said? So again, a lot of different uh, interpretations of this, but he- here's a couple. Remember Ross said there, there could be, sometimes there can be multiple fulfillments to this, and I think that's probably some of what's going on. One of the fulfillments is that uh, 400 years later, in about 167 or 168 B.C., uh, there was a man by the name of Antiochus IV. Maybe it was like Aiden or Caden back then. There was a lot of Antiochuses, so you had to you know, differentiate. So Antiochus IV, Epiphanes, uh, he was the Greek king. And they came and they took, they wiped out the Jews. And one of the things that they did was they set up in the temple, they, they put a stop to the daily sacrifices, as the language in Daniel 12 just said, and they sacrificed this pig in the Holy of Holies to Zeus. There was nothing you could do less kosher, more abominable to the Jewish people than that. That was the most abominable thing they had seen in their people's history until about 200 years later when there were wicked men who once again desecrated God's temple. That God's new temple had come to earth. His, his glory tabernacled among us, John says. And that these men desecrated the body of God himself, mocking his holy name, cursing him by hanging him on a tree, breaking his body, but... It was through the brokenness of our Savior that we could be made whole. That it was through his, his broken... He actually took the brokenness and sin that, of, of me onto himself. That he suffered for our joy. That he died so he, we could live. That he suffered and died to end ultimately all suffering and death for those who would believe. And after the most desolate abomination... What happened? The daily sacrifices could cease. Hebrews 10. And when sins have been forgiven, which we know blood and the blood of bulls and goats couldn't do, that's why they had to be sacrificed over and over and over every day, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. On the cross, Jesus, fully God and fully man, said, It is finished. The debt has been fully paid. And from that time forward, no more daily sacrifices were required. 
So I believe what, what we're seeing here, my, my best interpretation, is that from the time of Jesus' first coming until the time of his second coming, there will be this time of limited judgment here in this world, and we, as his followers in broken Babylon, will experience trials and sufferings as we follow the one who marked the way by his own suffering unto glory. So what's the wise way to live in this world between these two comings, between the the goalposts of his advent? Well, we know we're following Jesus, right? And and that we are called with Christ's life in us to become like Jesus. So the question has to be not what do I think is wise, but what does Jesus think would be wise? Not what do I want to do, but what would Jesus have me do? How would he live if he were me? The final thing I want to say here is that he would, I believe, have us live as martyrs, not as crusaders. This is a really easy selling point, so just bear with me. Um, cards on the table. We, we've talked a lot about this uh, in this series, that we live in a post-Christian society. Uh, and, and more and more, we see around us, there's this pushback on the way of Jesus. But I think in, in, in that, we can get the battle lines super confused. And, and what will happen is, is that when we talk about winning this nation back, we're going to sing that line later, win this nation back, win this world back, for Jesus, that oftentimes we go about it the wrong way. That we think we can do it through political reform or arguing enough on social media or picketing or, or yelling and threatening during city council meetings, for example, to protect the way of God living here and now. And I picture the, the guy with the shotgun on his porch saying, no one, is, my family's inside, this is my property, this is my family, and you can pull it, pry it from my cold dead fingers. Now, there's a lot there that we could unpack. I don't know how many people I've made mad right now, but here's the deal. We have to ask, how would Jesus have us live? And I'm not so sure that all those attitudes would align with his way. What are the battle lines, and how do we fight wisely and bravely in broken Babylon? It's got to be God and his word that inform that. There's another book of the Bible that talks about how this is all going to end, and I think it answers that question, at least in part. Revelation 12 Here's that second coming. Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens. It has come at last. Salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to the earth. The one who accuses them before our God day and night. Brothers and sisters, the battle line is not... Flesh and blood. The battle lines are not against other humans here on earth. It's against the accuser of the brethren and the wicked hearts that follow that way. And so we have to remember to have those battle lines clear. But now, but now how do we fight that war? How do we fight against the, the evil of the principalities of the air? Well, the next verse informs that as well. And they have defeated him by the blood of the Lamb. And by their testimony, that word there is witness, that we are faithful witnesses of what the blood of Jesus has accomplished, the battleground that he has won by forgiving. Satan can't accuse us anymore because we say, in Christ, there is no more condemnation for those who are in him. And they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. Do you hear that? The battle's already been won. We're standing on victorious soil. Jesus won the war. Our job is to be faithful witnesses, to give testimony to what Jesus has already done. 
and to do it even here if it costs us our lives. We are not called to take up arms and take the lives of other people, whether it's physically or just in the way that we treat them. Right? We're actually called to lay down our lives and be willing to sacrifice. And the word here for witness is actually the Greek word for martyr. And, and maybe for us today, proclaiming the gospel in this community won't get us martyred, won't get us killed, but how many people, how many brothers and sisters around the, the world today will be killed for it? And how many over the course of church history have been killed for being faithful witnesses to the Lamb's blood? And, and here's, I feel like today, <laughs> the, the church all around us is, is afraid. And we're fearful of losing our way of life. We're, we're fearful of, of, of losing our rights and our freedoms in this country. And, and we react out of that fear. But what does he say here? We're not afraid to die. Like, what are we really afraid of? If the worst thing that somebody else can do is kill me physically, and what do we just say? There's a resurrection coming. My body's going to get remade anyway. They're just expediting the process. The takeaway here is you should thank your murderer. That's right. You go, go into God's feet. <laughs> Don't. Okay, anyway. The, the government can take away every legal right. They cannot take away our witness of the resurrected Jesus. Now, but some say, but you can't just roll over and let them take it. That's foolish, right? Well, what did God say? The foolishness of the world is the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God is foolishness to the world. Because of Jesus, you can't just let them kill you. You've got to stand up for your rights. Now, don't mishear me. We are called to vote. We're called to give a voice. We're called to be salt and light in this community. Remember, we said we don't, get, we don't become synchronized to it, but we also don't live separately from it. We are salt and light in this world, and we do it the way of Jesus. We go out in the world and bravely and wisely continue to proclaim that there is a Savior whose blood has been shed, whose body has been raised, and there is coming one day a moment when heaven will come to earth and every wrong will be made right. And that the wise living is to endure suffering today that looks like foolishness. And if there's not a resurrection, we are fools. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, if there's no resurrection, we're the biggest fools on the planet, right? Like, why would you just live a life of suffering uh, and, and pain and then just go into the weeds when you die? It doesn't make sense. But if, if Jesus is coming back and if he is going to make everything right and we're going to get to rule and reign with him and not a moment of our suffering will be wasted, then that's the wise way in a broken Babylon. Would you pray with me? Father, I want to thank you for the book of Daniel, all that you've taught us through it, these messengers that have told us your truth of who you are. I want to thank you for Daniel himself as an example to us of how to endure the trials of the lion's den, how to live in a, in a strange foreign land, hostile to, to you, that he showed us what it looks like to pray every single day for God's kingdom to come, even when it means suffering. That he showed us how not just to, to, to endure Babylon, but to flourish in exile. And, and to finally receive the reward that's waiting as the kingdom comes. But God, we know that even Daniel was fallen. And ultimately, he was just a whisper of the true and better Daniel, Jesus himself. That, Father, you sent him to endure the lion's den for us and to bring that kingdom to earth. And so, Father, my prayer is that you would enable us to, with the very heart of Jesus, now beating in our chests, 
to endure the trials of this broken world. That we would go out and give testimony, faithful witness, not to how strong we are, not to how righteous we are, but cling to the strength and righteousness of King Jesus in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our trials that many times, often, we do not even understand. But Father, in our weakness, would you be strong? In our brokenness, would you bring healing? And even if it means our death, would you bring life to this world? May we be faithful witnesses to proclaim the good news of this risen Savior until his kingdom comes in 13, 35 days and receive our award for just simply waiting faithfully that day when you come back and everything is made right, not fixed, but made new. In the name of the coming Savior that I pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Would you stand and sing with us?